And so you plan like that because you already know what's supposed to happen. So in your mind, you are in a peace and a safe place because things have become rather predictable. And when we do that, when we live life as though we really already understand what's about to happen or what's going to happen, I'm telling you right now, we're living a really dangerous life. And so what I want to do today is really just take that away a little bit from us. Let's go into an unsafe territory tonight where we can trust God to come to bear us, bear us up under his own safety and in, in his own wings. Can we do that? Amen? So that's why we're doing this tonight. Um, I honestly didn't even plan to do that, but about two, three hours ago, that just dropped in my spirit, you know, that we should shake things up a little bit. And I decided that I was going to be obedient to the spirit of God. So good evening to you all. Pastor Bank, as you all can see, very clearly is not here. Uh, but he will be here on Sunday. Uh, he had to travel out, um, out of Atlanta. So let me ask you, how was your day? That's a real question. I'm not, I'm just, I'm not just asking to, to just say something. I'm not being flippant. I really mean that. How, how did your day go? You had a good day? You had a good day today? Very rich. Very, very good. That's good. Um, did anyone have not such a good day today? Huh? It was somewhere in between for you. Did anyone have a really, really bad day today? Well, I mean, it, what, whatever it is for you. No? We all had a good day today? That's wonderful. Because one of the things I hope that we can begin to do is to really also use this time to, if, if there's one of us who is able to make it to a meeting like this, but really dealing with issues. I think it would be nice that we all be able to just, you know, come together and lift one another up in moments like this. Amen? So we're good? We're all good? Okay, well, so let's dive right in. I promise you at some point before we're done, we will get a chance to sing some songs and to praise God. <laughs> all right? Brother Daniel, it's so good to see you, man. Amen. Sister Mary, thank you. Pastor Mary, for whatever you guys are doing. Thank you. So as you all know, we've been talking about the rest of God. And we've been looking in the book of uh, Hebrews, right? And we're just going to try to continue in there. So please go in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> I'm really just so grateful to God that we're looking at um, grace and rest and the love of God and so forth and so on. And I just want to encourage us that we shouldn't despair and Pastor Banks said many, many weeks ago, maybe even months ago that, you know, we have lived a lie as a church. You know, he called it the 2,000 year old lie that we've been told in the church. Amen. And there's a sense in which if you hear the same thing over and over again, you know, you sense, you begin to believe it, even if it's a lie. And you don't even know when you necessarily believe it. And so once, when you have believed a lie, it becomes really difficult to believe the truth. Amen? So what has to happen with us is we have to speak truth almost with the same intensity and for as long as we have been told a lie to begin to accept and embrace and live in the truth. Does that make sense? And that's why I can go today to Hebrews chapter 5. But I think that the truth that we have established in Hebrews chapter 4 need to be reestablished. I think we just need to go over many of this truth again and again and again so that they become flesh. That the word becomes real and incarnate in us. So that we're not just hearers but that we're doers of the word of God. So we can bring in praise and glory. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for these, your precious people, who in spite of the difficulty of the day and the work and all the driving and all the other things that they have had to contend with today, came tonight anyway. So I ask you, in, in, in the mighty name of Jesus, that by your spirit you will minister to all of us. But I'm also asking you, my God, that you minister to each person. You know the thoughts of our hearts. 
you know where the shoe is pinching. You know some of the challenges that we have even embraced because we think nothing can be done about them. Holy Spirit of God, you raised Jesus from the dead. You are God Elohim. You are the creator of the universe. There is nothing impossible for you. Lord, let your love melt away the doubt in our hearts tonight that we might believe you and rest in you so we can see the manifestation of your goodness to us. In Jesus' name. So we're in Hebrews chapter 4. And in, I'm just going to read from verse 1 through verse 12 very quickly. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they had did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works, from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those, who, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day saying in David, Today, after such a long time, it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he will not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as, as God did from his works. Verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall, fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Actually, I could have stopped at verse 11 um, or verse 10 even because we're probably not going to go into much deeper than that. And that's the word of God. Amen? I don't know how many of you have been watching the news lately, but even if you have not been, if you've just been in the social um, networks, Facebook and any of the other ones, you must have heard of the kidnapping of about 200 girls in Nigeria. You've heard that, right? Amen? Yeah. And in Thailand, there was an earthquake on... On Monday, was it on Monday or Sunday? That was on Monday. Well, what am I saying? If it's news, it's because it's bad. Amen? That's the only news that there is. If you watch TV, the more sensationally bad the news, the more traction it gets. There is bad news all around us. We live in a big bad world, y'all. We do. So reckon that in your mind, first of all. But come with me to Psalm 3. In a place and in a time when it was not so much different than it is today. And I find this really very amazing about David. But here is what he says in Psalm 3 and verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. Many are rising against me. 
many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. I really want us to pay attention to this. You can tell that this man is in despair in this place. Can you all tell that already? But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried about to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Look in verse 5. I lay down and what? Is that what it says in your Bible too? I lay down and slept. I woke again. Why? For the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Wow. Wow. You know, like I said, it's, it's a big bad world we live in, but even if you're not in David's condition, if, if, if your situation is not that bad, you know, just because of the restlessness of, our, of the lives that we live, how quickly things move these days, you know, how work is not just in a certain area, but now you take work home, you know, your boss can reach you, and we're all so connected, and it's become a really small global village, you know, then maybe about 10 or 15, 20, 25 years ago when calling international was not only easy, but also expensive, even if you're not from the United States. Now, you are reachable. You know, people can reach you. There are many ways to reach you by Facebook, by telephone, by, you know, or physically touching you. So we live, especially if you're in the city, we live in a very restless place. There's so much activity going on. And for many of us, sleep is a really difficult thing. Am I talking to some of us? Sleep is a really difficult thing. I mean, so you come out and, you know, you know that you have about a thousand and one things to do today. And you wonder, my goodness, how am I going to get through all the things I've got to do today? Well, you know, you know that in the evening, at some point, whenever it is, and it's different for different people, you know, at some point you can shut it down and go to sleep, right? Okay, you're going to wake up in the morning and then you go back into it. But at some point, hopefully you can shut it down. This was not David's case. In this chapter, this man was about to wake up and go to face an army that outnumbered him by thousands of people. And what does it say in verse 5? It says what? So think about it. Who does that? You know that you're about to face a battle in which you almost certainly are not going to win because. The balance is just tilted very heavily against you. David goes to sleep. I submit to you that sleep or rest is that one thing that I think that the world is really just looking for desperately today. Unfortunately, I find that even those of us who are supposed to have found it as Christians and as followers of Jesus Christ, even we are also looking for it. And it seems like, you know, we're all in this place together and all of us really just doing the same thing and rat chasing and so forth and so on. And this cycle just is almost unending. Constantly, we're bombarded from all angles. Here is what I have found. Not only do we live in a big bad world, but I also have found that people are very rational. Do you know what I mean? Haven't you thought if my boss was just like this, my life would be a little better? No, you have never thought that. Some of us have thought if my wife was just like this, my, wife would, my life would be a little better. Or if my husband was a certain way, my life would be a little better. You know what I mean. If my friend didn't speak to me in the way that he did today, you know, if this person didn't move this thing that I've told him not to move, if this person behaved in a certain different way, things would not be as bad as they are. If they had paid the money that they said that they were going to pay, when they said that they were going to pay it, I would not be in this mess. If I didn't get fired, if someone had done something, if Obama had 
ratified something, if, if, if the Senate had done something that they said they were going to do. But we find constantly that people constantly are falling short of standards, of our standards. Amen? So I want you to just stay with me for about a minute or two because I'm going to try to lay out something that I believe Paul is trying to say to us in Hebrews chapter 4 about the rest of God. I love Paul, Paul's writings because, you know, and by the way, there are scholars who contend that Paul didn't write the book of Hebrews. I think he did. I mean, we can go into detail as to whether or not he did. However, my point about whoever you say wrote the book of Hebrews is that it's, a, it's, it's, it's laid out almost like a man making a legal argument. I love that about Romans and the book of Hebrews. All right? So, because we have standards of other people, from a time when a little child is born, think about it. Every little child already knows the golden rule. Do unto others as you want done to you, right? And they know that if I do you good, you ought to do me good. If I'm your friend, then you ought to be nice to me. Yes? Amen? That's a song, right? Even a child knows that. There seems to be something buried deep in our consciousness, in our hearts, that tells us what standards are, what's good and what's bad, what's acceptable and what's not. We all have a sense. Even the unbelievers do. Paul makes the argument, let's look in, I believe it's uh, Romans chapter 2. He makes that argument in Romans, beautifully. We're just going to flip quickly to Romans chapter 2 and then we'll go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice those things. I've thought him to myself that, you know, wouldn't it be interesting? In fact, I think maybe this is the way it is. I'm not saying thus say the Lord. But I imagine it's something close to this. That from the day we were born, it's like there's a tape recorder that is hung like around our necks. And I believe that every time I say, Prof, you ought to have done it like this. I think that tape recorder goes on and records what I've just said. Every time I say to Kunle, I, th I think Kunle, you should have done it this way. I, I think Pastor Mary, you, you ought not to have done that. I think that tape recorder goes on. And I believe that someday when we all stand before God, I think God is going to say to us, you know what? I want to be fair with you. I I'm not even going to judge you by my own standards. I'm going to judge you by your standards. So let's see if you have done all the things that you expect other people to have done. Let's see if you, you have lived up to your own standards. And if you think long and deep about this, you will see that absolutely no man would survive that standard of judgment. None. That's Paul's argument in Romans chapter 2. That even people who don't necessarily know the word of God. Who have never read the Bible one day. Even they cannot stand before God righteous. Not possible. So, no man is righteous. And the restlessness that I think that we feel in our souls, the inability of man to be able to rest, the inability to be able to come to a place where you just let it go and go to sleep, for instance, and, and just chill and be like David who knew that when he woke up the next day, there was going to be this gigantic army that outnumbered his armies. And in spite of that, went to sleep. Because he said, God, you are my shield. You are my buckler. You are the one in who I trust. 
The ability for us to be able to do that, it's what I believe that Paul is talking about in Hebrews chapter 4 when he talks about entering into the rest of God. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 10 as we begin to put this together. Hebrews chapter 4. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So Paul talks about addressing himself to a people who seem to be unable to cease from their works. To, to stop or to refrain themselves from their works. I believe that this is a very legal term that Paul uses here. In another portion of scripture, the Bible talks about the works of the law. Our efforts to just live up to standard, whether it's to your standard or to the standard of your mother, to your pastor's standard, to the church's standard. Everyone, at the end of the day, in my opinion, is striving to get a good verdict. Everyone. Whether that be the verdict of your pastor, whether that be the verdict of your association, whether that be the verdict of your father, we're all somewhat trying, or sometimes even your own verdict. We're all trying to attain a certain level of righteousness. And Paul is saying to you and to me, absolutely no man, none of us, can live up to the standards of other people. Amen? You know, I have found that when we become convinced, I had this experience myself, when we become convinced either because of deep reflection that in me as a man that I'm, I'm deeply flawed. And if you judge other people, you will quickly come to that conclusion that you are flawed too. That you are deeply flawed. And you will know that, but for the grace of God, there goes I. Many people will do one or two things when they come to this realization. I came to that realization in 1984, 1985. And my brother at the time was in a um, religion, if you can call it that, called the Great Message. I know Pastor Charles, Pastor Charles and Prof are both aware of what that, what that is. And what that does to you when, re when you really think long and hard and very deep about it is it will either drive you to religion or drive you away from religion. It could drive you away from religion because you're saying, you know what, no man can attain these standards. I mean, I'm just not even going to try. And for me, for many years, I just thought it was foolishness. And so I will find all kinds of ways to justify why I'm not a Christian. You know? I will criticize Christians. Oh, but you're not doing this. But I saw you in the party yesterday. What are you talking about? Are you not supposed to be a man of God? See, I'm judging. I'm judging by standards that I'm not willing to live up to. But I'm also afraid to come into this place because I have been told, either directly or indirectly, that the only way to be a Christian, to live this life, is by works. And I know Sami Badaki. I know he's unable to do the things that I hear that Christian people ought to be doing. And so for years I rejected it. I didn't want any part of it because I knew I would be deceiving myself and I was sincere enough to just say, you know what? I want none of this. So the one group will run away from religion. Another group of people because we're looking for a way to justify ourselves. And the way we do this is we come to church, we get involved, we get active, and somehow now you think that you're better than your neighbor. Absolutely. I go to church. I pay tithe. I, I even fast. 
I'm Pastor Banks' assistant. I'm doing good. I'm kind. I'm a nice guy. So now, even though I'm in church and supposedly I'm a Christian, I am living by standards that are impossible to meet. But I'm deceiving myself, saying that it's okay that I'm not necessarily meeting them and I'm not going to allow myself to even think about the areas in which I'm not meeting them. I'm just going to think about all the good things that I'm doing. You know what I'm talking about. But you know deep in your heart, you know you're missing the mark. You know you're missing the mark. You know you're not that nice. You know you're not that kind. Amen? You know sometimes after prayer, your husband says something and you flare up like a crazy lunatic. And words come out of your mouth that should not be anywhere near the thoughts of just a normal human being. Forget being a Christian. And for many of us, it's, it's conflicting. I, I, I used to look at my Christian friends and I just say, you know what? I mean, how can this man possibly call himself a Christian? And it wasn't even that, that he was not holy. It was just that I found it difficult to understand how he was not conflicted in him, in himself. Do you know what I mean? How, how does he not go back home and say, why am I like this? How long is it going to take? When am I going to get this thing that they call the Christian life and the Christian living right? I pray. I do all night. I fast. I give my tithe. I give my... One man came to Jesus and said, okay, what must I do? He said, go say... Uh, he said, the man said to Jesus, he said, I've done all the things that you're talking about from, my, from the time I was a little boy. I'm perfect. Jesus says, no, 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 you're a lawbreaker. I'm saying to you, we're all lawbreakers. All of us are lawbreakers. And so there are two things that I believe we must do that Paul is telling us in Hebrews chapter 4. Glory to God. Verse 13. Well, let me go verse 12. He says, For the word of God is what is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and, a, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Verse 13. And there is no creature hidden, hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I think if we're really ever going to enter into this rest that Paul talks about, where well, I said that there are two things that I think we must do, but really there's one that we must do. And Paul says it very clearly. It's one thing, but I think it's two things in one just for the sake of simplicity and breaking it into usable format for you. And the one thing Paul says we've got to do is really hear the gospel. So I started earlier on by first of all telling you that no news is news if it's good news. Usually, news is bad news. Amen? One of the words that I think we've used fairly carelessly is, is the word good, especially when we talk about, you know, we say the gospel is otherwise what? What's the gospel? It is good news. But I think when we talk about the gospels being good news, and we use good in that sense, in the sense in which we generally use the word good, I think it minimizes how good the gospel really is. To me, it does. Because I think that the gospel is so better so much better than good. It's so superior to anything that you can call good. It just rises head and shoulders above anything in human experience that you can describe as good. Amen? I think the gospel came and really completely altered and changed how transactions are carried out. 
And so if you don't pay deep attention to it, you will actually miss what the gospel is. So Paul says to us, take heed in, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, you should take heed. Pastor has explained a lot to us what it is to take heed, right? He says, take heed lest you fall short. What does that mean? It means if I give you something, if you don't really take heed, you may take what I have given you, but you don't take it all, so you fall short of what I have given you because you have not completely embraced what I have given you. So you take a part of it. And I think to a large extent, I think that's what's happened to us in Christendom. I think we've taken a small part of what it is, of what the gospel really is. So Paul warns us, he says, take it to yourself lest you fall short of entering into this rest, because there yet remains a rest unto the people of God. So let's talk about this rest for, for a second. And Paul talks about the rest in two ways. He says that God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, God did what? God rested. But what, the, what is this rest? So in six days, God created the heavens and the earth. Is this rest cessation from work? Is it that God did no work? Well, the best analogy I can give you is as follows. You know God is a creator, right? So imagine yourself being a creator like God. So now you're building for yourself because you're really pretty good. You're building a boat. You're building a nice boat for yourself. Amen? Took you six days to build a boat. Now this boat is ready. Is tested. Is ready to go. So you do what? You rest from building the boat, right? But you didn't build the boat just to park the boat, did you? You build the boat so that you can enjoy it, correct? So now that the boat is built, what you do is you now enter into this boat, and you begin to cruise in this luxurious yacht. That you have built for yourself. Life is good. Amen. So in a sense you are resting. But this rest is not cessation from work. Glory to God. When Paul talks about God resting. It is. He's talking about God's rule really. Because what you do with something you've built. Is you now rule it. You now get in this boat. And now you are ruling it. You are the commander. Of this boat now. You are in charge of this boat now. You tell it where to go. You tell it what to do. You start it when you want. It's at your beck and call. You use it whenever you desire. Amen? So even though you are inside this boat and people who your friends and your colleagues wish that they were the ones that own your yacht. They're little envious of the life you're living now. So in a sense you are resting, but you're not not working. Do you get the difference? I borrowed uh, Kunle's car many weeks ago, many months ago. Many, many months ago. And um, you all know what car Kunle drives, right? It's a Mercedes-Benz. Nice Mercedes-Benz. <laughs> I'm embarrassing the man now. A Mercedes-Benz. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you what car he drives. There's a point to my story. So I'm telling you, Kunle drives a Mercedes-Benz. All right? Okay. Well, not everyone knows that. So anyway, I borrowed his car. And I had my... One of my girls in the car. I can't remember which one. About five minutes into the ride, he said, man. He said, what kind of car is this? I lie not to you. I said, is a Mercedes-Benz. said, why is it the ride feels so incredibly different than the ride in our Scion? <laughs> she felt rested inside that car. <laughs> Even she knew that there was something different about this ride. And she encouraged me, if I can, to try to get a Mercedes-Benz or something that will ride like that. Glory to God. So God built this place, this space, this thing, this environment, 
this garden, this relationship that he calls the gospel for you and I, where it is the rule of God or it is the boat of God, if you like. And so he's extending an invitation to you and I that you will come inside his boat where he is king and commander-in-chief, where he is the one who has the complete, absolute, total control. No one tells him what must happen. He built it from ground up. He supplied all the material that built the thing. He knows it's inside out. He had in it only the items that he wanted to be in it. Why? He knew exactly what he wanted it to do. So he built it with that sense in mind. So essentially he really finished it before he built it because he built it for a particular purpose. Amen? So he's saying to you and I, I'm inviting you into this place, into my rule. And if you will come into my rule, you will find rest unto your soul. So God sent the prophets to preach the gospel in the Old Testament. Paul tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, however, that they did not believe it. They didn't mix it with faith in their hearts. It was almost too easy. It was too is this thing possible? Therefore, they did not enter into the rest of God. So Paul says to you and I, Hebrews chapter 4, you better take heed to yourself. I know you're a Christian now. I know you're born again now. But if you don't take heed to yourself, you would also fall short of this grace. How do you take heed to yourself? What do you do? Two things. As I begin to round this up, that I want to leave us with. Two things that I think we must do. The first is that we must have a real conviction of sin. You must have a real conviction of sin. What did I say? A conviction of sin. So again, conviction is another legal term, if you think about it. When you are convicted, it means you have been found. Absolutely, it means you are now found guilty. You are guilty as charged. So you, you, you can't, I'm not saying, say to yourself, well, you know, yeah, maybe I did it, maybe I didn't do it. Because that's where we are. You know, so what do you do when someone brings an accusation against you? This is how you really know. When someone accuses you of something you haven't done, this is how you know whether or not you are entering into the rest of God. So Charles goes to Pastor Bank and tells Pastor Bank, you know what? While you were gone, Sammy was messing around on Wednesday. He didn't read one verse of scripture. He was just talking stories. Well, that would not be true, right? <laughs> At least I read the scriptures. <laughs> At least one verse of scriptures. So you know that a brother or a sister has brought an accusation against you. And you know it's not true. What, what do you do? You can say to yourself, I did nothing of the sort. And if Pastor Ban calls a meeting, you say, you know what? Not only did I know, you don't know Charles? Charles D.K. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's always going around telling and saying people have done things that they have never done. Ah, Pastor, you don't know. Ah. Or I can say, if I haven't done it, right, I can say, you know, I really haven't done the thing that Charles is accusing me of. But man, if only Charles knew the bad things that I've done. <laughs> That's not even the one he will be reporting to pastor. You know, you know the bad things you've done. It just so happens that the one that reported to this time is not, you got lucky, it's not the one that you're bad in. But you know you're a bad dude. Listen, I, I'm telling you, I cannot emphasize this enough. I love my wife dearly. I do. I know I do. And yet, in spite of that, 
I find myself constantly falling short of the standard that I have set for our love for one another. Even today, it happened to me. My wife is in faraway Ethiopia. I had asked her to do something last week. And I kept reminding her because I know that, you know, she's not very good with follow-up. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Okay? There are things that she's good with that I'm not. So let me just put that out there. I don't want you guys to see who comes back and say, your husband was hanging out to dry. <laughs> so I called her and said, honey, listen, what about this thing? Because the person who was supposed to do it for was me calling me. So I said, have you done this thing? He said, you know what? I'm so busy. What? That's what was going on in my mind. What? <laughs> you are so busy. I told you on Tuesday, last week. I told you on Thursday. I reminded you on Friday. I'm telling you today, you, instead of you saying, honey, I'm so sorry. My standard, you see? <laughs> I'm, I'm boiling inside me. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with this woman? Uh -uh. It's not even, I'm not even the one that's supposed to be doing it. That's what you're supposed to be doing. I tried to help you and reminded you. I reminded you once, second, third time. You didn't do it. Now they're calling me. You're in faraway Ethiopia. I'm reminding you, and instead of you to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, you are telling me you are busy. <laughs> you are busy. I, you know what? I mean, I, I didn't quite go out on her, but, you know, I just, she could tell that I was not, uh, she was talking, I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know, and I just wanted her to get off the phone. And once she got off the phone, I just hung off the phone, and I'm thinking all kinds of crazy things in my mind. And you leave the place and you say to yourself, my goodness, that's not the man I want to be. Not too long ago, I sat this woman down in the presence of my friends. And I was telling her that she was the world to me. Were you not there? Kunle, you were there if Charlie is not going to tell the truth. <laughs> no, seriously. Not so long ago, I was announcing to my peers how wonderful this woman was. I, in fact, said, I said, you know, 20 years ago, we've been married 20 years. I said, 20 years ago, see, boy, I told you I loved you and that I was from my head. And it was. I said, but when I tell you I love you today, it's from my heart. I meant it at the time. And then you leave the place and you do some things and you find yourself falling short of the standard you set. Because no man is good. No human being. You can't attain your own standards. Forget God's. You can't make it into your own standard. If God judge you by your own rule, you will fall short and go to hell. So where is your hope? So when the accusation is brought against me, what I ought to say is, you know what? I didn't do it, but I'm sure I'm glad that he didn't find out all the bad things that I did. Now, what about when you have in fact done the thing that you're accused of? What do you ought to say? You know what? Brother, it's true. I did it. But you know what? God knows that I'm that weak. He accepts me anyway. Glory to God! Amen. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! If God accepts me, who are you? Who made you the landlord of heaven, as Pastor Bank said? It frees you up. That's what it is to enter into rest. I know that I am convicted. I am guilty, yes. I'm a sinful man, yes. No man, only Jesus in the history of man has been able to live and fulfill God's conditions perfectly. No man before, during, or after. God gave the Lord to show you and die. You can't do it. And just so you know, he did not only just write the law. Okay, so there were laws that were given to Moses. Yes, written upon tablets of stone. But the laws of God is written upon your heart. That's how you know right from wrong. That's how you tell your boss or your friend or your wife or your husband, you ought to do it like this. How do you know? 
It's in your heart, you know. But even you fall short of those standards. So the first thing is we say to ourselves, no, I'm not worthy to stand before this almighty God. There is not any amount of work that I can do. And am I saying that we shouldn't do the, 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 the works of righteousness? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, in fact, what I think, what I'm finding that this does for me is it, it's helping me to be able to say, you know what? Wow. If Jesus gave me this much, how about maybe I can put in about this little every now and then. Let me also at least try. And when I fall short, I pick myself up again. Because I know that there is a Savior who loves me so dearly that he gave up everything. Wow! Everything! For my sake. Amen? So one, I'm convinced of sin. I'm convicted of sin. I convict myself. It's not Brother who convicts me. I convince myself. And when you have convicted yourself, you know what? It's when a man brings you an accusation, no problem. They say you did it. Yes, sir. Guilty as charged. Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you, nothing is as freeing in the world. When your friends know. Someone called me the other day. He said, you know what? I'm the younger one of the two of us. I'm younger than you are. You are, you are the one who's supposed to be checking on me. You've not called me in so long. I went on and on and on and on. And on. I said, you're right. Ah, you say, you know what? You make this stuff on me, man. <laughs> he was looking for me to begin to argue. When I say you're right, he killed the conversation. Right there. <laughs> Where are you going to go with it? I say, you're right. And it's true. And I meant it. I meant it. And I say, I'm sorry. You're, absolute, you're absolutely right. He just shuts the thing down. He says, you know what? Actually, you, you're getting pretty good at this. <laughs> When the, when the brother brings you the accusation, tell him you're right. Tell him, but God also knows. God knows I'm not able yet. I'm missing the mark. God knows that I'm not up to, but he accepts me in the beloved. He takes me in spite of me. And that's sufficient for me. Amen? So we're convicted of sin. The second is, that we really truly believe, and this is my final point, that there's really a place in God where we can really truly go to sleep. Like David. In Acts, I believe it's in chapter 12, the apostle Paul, pretty much like David, like David in Psalm 3. Herod was about to kill this man and they put him in jail. And they had people sitting there watching him. What did this man do? He went to sleep. I mean, he went to sleep. I think sometimes we just gloss over some of these things, honestly. You know, like, okay, it's some Bible story, you know, so it's, and it happened many years ago. It happened to this man is a prophet or he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. So maybe he, he can do it. If you don't embrace the truth of the word of God and mix it with faith in your heart, you will never enter into that same self-same rest. Where you say, no, I am not not acknowledging the challenges and the difficulties. That's not, what, that, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm not saying that you are not buckling, that your knees are not buckling. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, yeah, you're buckling. I'm saying that you're thinking about it and you're thinking, I may be finished. Yes, but say, say to yourself, the Lord is the only one who can defend me. So I'm going to go to sleep. I'm just going to rest in God. I'm going to enter into fellowship with him. I'm entering in his rule. I'm entering his boat. I'm entering the thing that he built that is already complete. That's where there is covering for you. That's where there is safety for you. That's where there is protection for you. For so long as you are outside of it, you are meat for the devil. So no, I'm not justifying myself, Satan. You say, yeah, you committed that sin. Absolutely, I did. Next. Because he gets us in this place 
where you're thinking, man, I may not get that promotion because you know what? When pastor was saying in the church that day, ah, and I was convicted in my spirit too. He said that God is about to bless someone and the spirit of God is in fact saying you should give God something or do certain things. And you know your spirit was you. You in fact knew that the spirit was talking to you and you didn't do it. Okay, now they're telling you that this promotion is coming at work. You're thinking, I know I'm not going to get it. There's no way I'm going to get it because I didn't, I knew. I knew on that Sunday, I, I knew that it was to me that the Spirit was talking and I disobeyed the Spirit of God. Listen, I'm telling you that the love of God is so profound. He knew you were not going to do it. He knew. He knew. Acknowledge it. You know what unbelief is in my books? Unbelief says, I know better than God. To me, that's the definition of unbelief. When you really think about it, that's what it is. God says it's this way. I do differently because I'm saying, I must know better than you. Now, when you put it like that, it scares you to not believe God. But I'm saying even when you fall in unbelief, say, God, help even my unbelief. Acknowledge it. You are man. It's okay. It's all right. God knows you're like this. Who are you hiding from? Paul says, nothing is hid from God. Who are you deceiving? Nothing is hid from him. Oh, I'm telling you, I have conceived sin in my mind and I was having a conversation with God about it. I'm telling you. I said, God, I'm going to do it. I know I'm going to do it. I'm just telling you. I'm letting you know I'm going to do it. And I said, maybe I shouldn't. No, no, but I'm going to do it. And I kept saying, I'm going to do it. And I'm saying, God, I'm telling you, I'm going to do it. I remember that day so very clearly because I have never really been in that kind of place. You know, so many times we stumble into the things and then you do it and then you recover and say, well, I shouldn't have done that. I planned this one. I sat down and I thought it out. And I knew I should not, I knew it was sin. I was not unclear about it. I was very certain it was sin. But I'm saying to you that when your relationship gets to the place where even you are able to talk to God in your sin, that's what he's asking for. Let's have a conversation about it. He says to, I think it was to Cain, he says, sin lies at your door. The man just killed. And God is having a conversation with him. You're telling me God cannot have a conversation with me because I sinned? You're a liar. Even in that state, he wants to talk to you. So I communed with him. And I kept saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And by some grace of God. And I'm telling you, it was the grace of God. I didn't. But when I didn't, I wasn't impressed with myself. Because I already did it, really. That's the point. I completely persuaded myself that I was going to do it. And I, the reason I'm stressing this is because, you know, there are people who have said that when we preach grace like we do, that we give license to people to sin. And I'm saying even in their sin, God loves you anyways. Now, I'm not, I'm not if, if you know God, you will know that the pleasures of sin are nothing to be compared to the pleasure that you get by following after God. You are shortchanging yourself if you really fall in sin. You hurt yourself. <laughs> It doesn't even make sense, honestly. On a logical level, it's not even a good deal. I realize that now. So when I fall into it, I know that, boy, you, you know what? You just, you just fell short. Like Paul said, I just came short. I'm on the journey now. You just, you just, you've just given some things away. Now you're going to have to give more and fight a little harder. I know that. So no, I mean... I'm not by any means suggesting that let's just sin that grace may abound. Hallelujah. This is what it is to enter into the rest of God. You first convince yourself or you convict yourself 
and you say that, no, I'm not able to live even up to my own standards, let alone God's standard. And it's okay if you bring an accusation against me. I'm accusing myself on a daily basis. What are you talking about? What does you have to say? Your accusation is what's going to frame me? No, 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 no. Yes, I did it. I'm not gloating in having done it. I'm just saying I am man and I fall short of, of your standards because I fall short of even my standard every now and then. Amen? I started this whole thing by telling you about the situation that is going on in Nigeria. I don't know what you're resting in or what you're relying on. But I know that everything moves. Everything moves. Everything. If you're resting on your accomplishment, it's not going to be there after a while. It's going to move. If you're resting on your laurels or your money, it's going to move too. Because anything that comes must pass. And so the Bible says, and it came to... The reason it came is because it's... That's the reason it came. And so it came only to whatever you're resting on is going to move. The only thing that is sure, that is standing sure, that you can rest in, that you can depend on, that you can rely on, that doesn't move, doesn't shift, doesn't change, is Jesus Christ. He proved it already. He came. He lived in the sinful world that you and I live in and didn't fall, pray to sin the entire time. So he calls us into fellowship with him. And so he can take us to his father and say, Sam is my friend, God. And if I come in the name of Jesus, the Bible says I'm blessed. Blessed is he. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I don't come in my strength. I don't come in my own power. I come hid in Christ, prof. My life is now hid in Christ. So when I come before God, he doesn't see me. Who does he see? He sees Jesus Christ. And so in that love tonight, I just want us to spend a minute or two to just raise those families in Nigeria up to God. Those women, many of them, really poor, cannot even speak for themselves. Don't even have the voice. Of course, you know, many of them are not, don't know Jesus from anywhere. I'm asking you to pray now, please. I'm asking you as the beloved of God, I'm asking you as the one who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, who understands that, no, we're not coming in our own righteousness. We, we haven't come by our strength. We have not come by our ability. We have not come by the things that we know or the things that we can do. We're coming hidden in Christ, the begotten of God, the only son of God, and asking that God the sovereign God of heaven, full of grace and mercy, will rain down mercy like a blanket to cover not only the hearts of the families of these girls, but the entire nation of Nigeria. And in the same vein, if you please just lift up Thailand before God in prayer. Jesus spoke to this raging sea and to the raging storm. He says, peace be still. And Thailand is going through a turmoil right now. I believe this turmoil is in fact going to lead to a peaceful resolution, but we've got to take authority as the priests of God in the earth, as the ones who hold the title deed of the earth. Declare peace in Nigeria. Declare peace. Don't beg God for it. You declare it. You come in the name and in the authority of Jesus Christ. You come with power. 
you speak it into existence by the authority that we have in Christ. If you know this song, just sing with me just as we bring this to a close. Down at your feet, O oh Lord, is the most high place. In your presence. In your presence, Lord. I seek your face. I seek your face. I seek your face. Down at your feet. Down at your feet, O oh Lord, is the most high place. Is the most high place. In your presence, Lord, I seek your face. I seek your faith. There is no higher calling. There is no higher call. No greater runner, greater runner than to bow and kneel and kneel before your throne. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at your glory, embraced, embraced by your mercy, O Lord. I live to worship. Dear Heavenly Father, we live to worship you. There is not a better and a higher place to be than at your feet. No one can unconditionally love us. No human being is always loving. We strip ourselves, O oh God, of everything that we have rested in and relied on our monies, our accomplishments, our positions, our possessions, not even our marriages, oh God. As good as it may be, knowing only you are worthy of relying on. You are a reliable God. As your children, we thank you tonight for the peace that reigns in Nigeria. You say you will give a peace that the world does not understand. Lord, we speak this peace into Nigeria. Nigeria, we say, peace be still in the name of Jesus. We calm the rage in Nigeria in the name of Jesus. We calm the storm in Nigeria in the name of Jesus. You say when two or three are gathered in your name, you are in our midst. We thank you tonight that you are speaking in and through us. And that we speak by the authority that we have in the name of Jesus. We command. We demand of heaven in the name of Jesus. We send the ministering spirits. The angels of God. To go into action in the name of Jesus. To bring a calm and a, and, and, and a solemn spirit. Into the homes of these children. Lord, we say in the name of Jesus, they all will be found. They all will be returned. Lord, in like manner, we thank you for the nation of Thailand. And we command peace in that nation in the name of Jesus. We thank you for our lives. We cease from our rest. We rely in you. We rely on you. We rest in you. 
knowing you have completed it before you started it. And so we ask you that you remind us by your spirit when we stray away from you that nothing is complete outside of you. That there is no safety outside of you so we can come back home where we belong. Where we'll find joy and rest unto our souls. We thank you tonight as we go home. We thank you for your peace that leads us. That goes before us and is also our rear guard. And we bless your name that we come back together stronger to testify of your good goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name.